The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Are you looking for a new and empowering lens through which to view your life and your health? Then register now for Get Healthy with Sound, a weekend workshop with Eileen McCusick, an innovator in the fields of therapeutic sound, electric health, and the human biofield. May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn easy and accessible techniques to reduce stress, improve focus, and increase energy. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. We're glad you found us. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Eat better, get healthy, and help animals. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. They're doing work on our apartment, so I am in a hotel with Forbes, my dog, in what we call the theater district here in New York, even though Broadway won't open again until September. When I got here Monday evening, it was cold and rainy. We had to change rooms, and I was feeling alone and adrift. The very next day for lunch, we went to a place on 9th Avenue called Thai Select, and the server brought water for Forbes and hot tea for me. I hadn't asked for it. I must have just looked like I needed it. And then she said, I used to have a dog. I miss him. We connected. And then the sun came out. That's kind of what kindness will do. Welcome, everybody. I am Victoria Moran, host of the Main Street Vegan Program. And interestingly enough, both of my guests today are going to be talking about that kind of kindness and how to really make this world a sweet, sweet place, even if it's not looking like that. After the break, we'll be talking with Molly Patrick, clean food, dirty girl. And right now, it is my pleasure uh, to introduce you, if you don't already know her, from her very, very popular podcast, Shoshana Hayam. 
that podcast is the plant trainers which she does uh with her wonderful husband who has a great story of health restoration and she also has a brand new children's book which is absolutely delightful it's called i am a peaceful goldfish and it teaches children the importance of mindfulness and taking big breaths in a fun and imaginative way Joining us from Toronto, Shoshana, welcome. Thank you, Victoria. I'm so grateful for being here, and thank you for that beautiful introduction. Well, it was so much fun to read your book, and I'm sure it will be even more fun to pass it along to children. I have a friend who has uh, twins. They're five and a half, and so... <laughs> <laughs> They're kind of the, um, uh, the the gifties of wonderful children's books that I come across. But I just loved your book. It's a picture book. It's for small children. And yet that message is so powerful. So let us all know why we should be peaceful goldfish and dragons and other kind, gentle beings. Sure. So I, I actually, you know, it's funny. If you're a mom of of two five year olds, you probably need the book more than more than the five year olds. And that's actually a lot of the feedback that I've been getting back from the book is yes, it's made for children, and you know, definitely like ages. I say zero to six. My publisher says three to six. But um, you know, it, it's it's basically taking children through the experience of seeing that there is other children in the world who are dropping their ice creams or ripping their pages or their crayons breaking or the dog doesn't want to play or whatever it is and giving them the tool of breathing and teaching them that breathing, taking big, deep breaths is actually a tool to help them calm down, connect their mind and body and make good choices moving forward. And what the parents are saying is, wow, I feel so relaxed after I read this book with my children. And what they don't know is secretly, by the time I decided that this was going to be a published book and get it out to the world, secretly, I wanted the parents to understand that and to be playful with it and to use that themselves because so often we forget of course we breathe all day long that's how we stay alive but we forget to take those deep breaths those connecting breaths those breaths that allow us to make better choices with our words and our actions and like you were talking about before stay kind as kind as possible throughout the day and it's just you know i i i love reading the book myself i find something new in it every single time well, it just seems to me that if this was the kind of information that we all got when we were children, then we wouldn't have to do so much catch-up learning <laughs> later on. So it, it's just exquisite. I am a peaceful goldfish. And uh, we'll mention that again at the end and help people know uh, where to get it. So let's back up a little bit. You are a retired kindergarten teacher and very much present-day mom. So tell us about um, how you got here. Yeah, so I, I am a retired teacher, which seems really weird to say at, at, the, at the beautiful young age of, of 42. Um, but I guess when you leave teaching, that's what you have to mark off is retired. So I was a teacher, mostly kindergarten and some phys ed for for 15 years. And within my last couple of years, we went through my husband's health crisis um, that we talked about last time where he had a tumor and he had heart disease. And we were told three times 
within nine months of the pregnancy with my daughter that I might be raising my children on my own. And when they said that, he automatically started to look for ways to stay healthy and and heal his body and be here as long as possible with all of us. So when he went plant-based, you know, that kind of got us on the on, on the nutrition and, and wellness and healing path right then and there. And that's when I realized that I was, I, my time was up teaching in a classroom that I was wanted to move on and give that opportunity to a, a bright young teacher who hadn't had her or his experience yet teaching because it, there's just too many teachers up here in Canada. So I, I went into plant trainers full time and as I was transitioning to that, my son was having a really hard day one day, and I had learned a lot to deal with my own stress and anxiety coming from Adam's situation, which included meditation, which included taking deep breaths, included tapping and a whole bunch of other things, and I was trying to get my son to calm down in the moment when he was having a bit of a tantrum of his own, and it was not working. He was not having any of it. And while somebody's upset, that's not the best time to teach them lessons as it is. So I looked for a book that I can use with him when when he was finally calm. And there was nothing on my bookshelf as a teacher. There was nothing on my bookshelf in, in the library. I couldn't find anything online that would actually teach the children to take a deep breath in through their nose, out through their mouth. That wasn't I mean, there was really nothing, and I also didn't want it to be, I didn't want to teach parents how to teach their children. I wanted children to learn it on their own, to get their kinesthetic or their, or their visual or all their, all their different senses working so that they can learn how to take deep breaths, because you're absolutely right. We need, if we would have learned some of these skills and some of these things that we're doing as adults when we were young, how much better would we have dealt with our adversity as we went through life? How much, how much healthier would we be? body, mind, and spirit now in, in, our, in our days, and how much time would we not have had to waste trying to reverse all the things that happened to us in the past. So I really wanted this to be a tool for children to help them get through some of the difficult moments a lot better than I did. Oh, that, that's really beautiful. I've been taking a lot of, of yoga training courses during the pandemic. I'm working toward getting my 500-hour uh, yoga teacher certificate. And even though I've been around yoga forever, to really delve into it and really see this is how life is. This is what we've got. So we work with that and when you have some of these techniques, it's it's just so seamless. And without them, it can can really be a fight. So you teach children's yoga. So what's that like? So yes, before before um, the pandemic, I was teaching a lot of children's yoga, and for me, it's fun. For me, it's exposure. It's getting them to move, to get used to some vocabulary, to get used to movements, but to hear the word yoga and to take breaths and to have little lessons, like these little yogic lessons. And it's not to make kids become yogis now in the moment, but when it comes back and circles back for them later on in life and they hear about yoga or they go to a yoga class, it doesn't seem so foreign. It doesn't seem so out of the box and they become more 
more likely to participate with their whole mind and body and and eventually spirit. So it's it's like exposing them to it. So my classes were really a lot of fun. Somebody who walked in might not even realize that it was a yoga class because the music would be boppy and dancey and we might be dancing in between poses or or throwing a ball around, but the overlying theme and lots of poses come into that and little little yogic nuggets get brought into it in a way that is really, you know, nobody would walk in and think that I was teaching about spirituality or that I was teaching religion or anything like that. Just fun, just children fun, exposing them to it so that they will be more likely to partake in it when it comes back around for them later on. Oh, that's great. I was uh, noticed the cover of Vanity Fair, I believe it was, or maybe Town and Country. It's a magazine I don't read. I saw it at a newsstand. But but the cover said, remember fun <laughs> as a kind of, you know, late, late in the pandemic uh, question. So I'm glad that you are focused on fun. And I also love that phrase, little yogic nuggets. I would like to strew my life with little yogic nuggets. So thank you for that. So I know you have tips, Shoshana, and I don't want to let you out of here without sharing them with us. Tips for families on how they can create a calmer environment for kids and and help them just navigate better with the world changing every second. This is definitely something that parents are looking to do more of, and I think it starts with them. Whoever the adult is, it doesn't have to be parents, but whoever the adult is in the home life, if they take part in some kind of mindfulness activity, whether it's meditation by sitting and listening to a guided meditation or sitting and thinking on their own or reading a book or watching the fire in the fireplace or going for a run, when we when we present this to children as something that we incorporate into our own lives to make us better and calmer and more likely to deal with situations better, children will pick up on that. So I really do think it starts with us leading the way. Another thing for maybe older children to do, besides reading the book, of course, is writing in a journal. So what we did with our daughter is we started a journal for her because she was having really um, some bad days. So we were writing down all the things that happened that were bad and then matching them with all the things that had happened during the day that were good or neutral or amazing. And what happened is over the next three days is she started writing, stopped writing down anything that was negative and only started writing down positive, something that was different that day, something she learned that day, talking to a friend on the phone. And she started filling up her journal with all of these positive things. And we saw her behavior change. We saw her, I mean, she's, she's in that stage where she's starting to become a teenager, right? So like that preteen stage. So it was a lot less attitude and a lot more positivity coming from her, which brought calmness to the, to the whole house as well. And the other thing is talking, right? Bringing back talking, sitting at the, at the family table again, talking about your highs, talking about your lows, sharing gratitude. Gratitude for us is extremely calming. It's extremely grounding. It's how we start every episode of the Plant Trainers podcast by asking our guests to share some gratitude and teaching that to children too, to be grateful for something more than just the roof over our head. But if that's all that they could think about that day, then that's great too. There, there is no wrong in 
in gratitude. So those are some ideas for some different age groups that you can adjust because you'll know your children better. Yeah. Oh, that just sounds so sweet. I think especially so many families have had maybe more together time than they could handle and didn't really know what to do with it. And and just having some of these these suggestions are just so helpful. You've got some guided and, and, and fun, <laughs> can't forget fun, mindfulness activities for families too. Tell us a couple of those. Sure. So one of the first things that I love doing is looking at the pages of the book and seeing which one inspires you. So before you mentioned, you know, that there's a goldfish and there's a dragon and there's a pinwheel and there's the the wind chime. So every page is a little bit different of taking a deep breath in and then blowing it out to make the chime, make the music of the chimes or let the pinwheel spin round and round. So I love the dragon page. That's my favorite page. So what <laughs> I would love for people to do. Are you a fire <laughs> sign you. in your astrology? Uh, I'm a Scorpio. Okay. No, Am not I fire, fire but they, you still I can like be the fiery, dragon. That's, that's allowed. Sure. <laughs> um, I, I am, um, I'm a pitta. I don't well, know if that's, that helps. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm fiery in, in uh, Ayurvedic. Um, so, yeah, so I love the dragon page. So if anybody's driving or riding a bike or walking across the street, just listen. Don't take part in, in this right now. But what I love for people to do is imagine themselves as a dragon. So decide, are you a big dragon or a little dragon? Uh, do you have wings? Do you have what color are you? Are you purple? Are you green? Are you yellow? Do you have a design on you? So maybe you have, I don't know, American flags or Canadian flags or zigzags or polka dots. And is there a defining characteristic on your dragon? So if you have red hair, does your dragon have red hair? If you have a necklace you wear all the time, is your dragon wearing that necklace? And just picture yourself as this dragon. And then together what we'll do is we'll take a big breath in through our nose and gently breathe out. Make that little fire. So now we're gonna try it a little bit calmer. So take a deep breath in and gently breathe out your fire. And one more, deep breath in and gently breathe out your fire. And people always find themselves more calm. Their posture changes, their voice changes, their demeanor changes, going back to work feels different. Um, interacting with colleagues or family members feels different. And this is a great way to get people to feel calm. And you could do it with any character in the book, any page in the book, or anything that you like in your own life. I used to do it before the book. I used to do it like a ball. So I'd picture a ball and make the patterns of the ball. And if I was alone, as I w and I'd lie down on my back, and as I would breathe in, the ball would come towards my lips. And as I would breathe out, I would imagine the ball going up into the sky and back and forth with every breath. And that's how I was teaching my kids to fall asleep at night when they were having trouble falling asleep. So those are a couple of things that you can incorporate without it being meditation or feeling kind of um, granola. It's just an activity with something that you like and you identify with. Yeah, it's focus. Focus made fun. Exactly. And you're using your imagination, and that's something that adults don't get to do very often. So when we're interacting with the young ones, it gives us permission to let go and 
be silly and maybe your dragon has polka dots and zigzags. Imagine that. Um, you know, something <laughs> that we wouldn't normally do if it was just us sitting at our desk working during the day. Yeah. Oh, I like that a lot. Plus, I like mythical creatures. I think I like mythical everything. Somebody sent me a story today about King Arthur, and it was more proof that he didn't really walk the earth. But you know what? To me, he did. So... <laughs> So I, I, I grew like up with a home in Vermont I, on Lake Champlain, and I believe very heavily in the Lake Champlain sea monster, and I was convinced that I've seen it. So I don't know. Maybe they're not so mythical. <laughs> maybe not. I think we need that. You know, I think that whole Joseph Campbell thing about the power of myth, it's just really, really important. And, and if a kid or an adult wants to be a dragon, what a good thing. So mm -hmm. tell us a, a little guy. bit about the process of writing a children's book. So the concept was yours. The words are yours. You worked with an artist. Did you find her? Did the publisher have her in their list? How does all that work? Because I know people want to write children's books. So it all depends on how you plan on publishing your children's book. I guess, generally speaking, there's three different ways. The first way would be to self-publish. The second way would be to hire someone to help you self-publish, so that's more like a hybrid publishing. And then there's traditional publishing through a reputable publishing house. If you're going to try to get your book published through a reputable publishing house, you don't need to worry about the art until you're, you're working with their creative team. And what, what happened in my instance is they, they – um, they kind of had me research a few different artists who they were considering and get my feedback on it. And I did have final say on whether or not we, we went with, with the artist, who is Lori Joy Smith, who I'm so, um, so happy to have, have worked with. And I thought that she did an, an amazing job. So although I, I drew the pictures as I wrote, but that was part of my writing process. That works for me. I'm visual. I'm kinesthetic. So it helped me kind of get my words right and, and all of that. It just helped in the process. But if you're going to self-publish, then you can definitely go out and you could look for an artist. You might know um, an artist in the, in the area who teaches art classes or a friend who's really talented or there's all different kinds of websites online where you can commission people to, you know, draw pictures for you or make your website or whatever it is. So you can find, if you, if you Google artists for my picture book, then a whole bunch of sites will come up and you could peruse and see what styles you like and, and who's kind of speaking to you. So it all does depend. This book really came from the heart. It came from me wanting to provide a tool for my children and then to my students and then to the world. So it took a much different process of me deciding, I'm going to write a children's book today. What am I going to write about? Which is the situation I'm in now as I'm writing book number two. It's a much different writing process for me. So with this book, you did uh, go to a traditional publisher. And I, did you, is this correct? Yes, I did. Yes. And, and so did you send to a lot of publishers or one at a time? Was this the first one and you got really lucky? Did you know somebody there? So I didn't know anybody and I didn't know anything about publishing a children's book. So I needed to actually 
research everything and figure out what I was doing. And some of the research I did when I'd already done some of the work that I didn't even have to do. So the process was long. I wrote this book six years ago. It took six years from, from April to April just about to get the book out onto bookshelves. And the, the process was I needed to find an agent and the agent needed to take the book to the publishers. The reputable publishers won't accept any um, cold calls from, from any authors. So you need to go through it properly. So there was quite a process. I'm actually coaching some people through that process right now. But there, there's quite a process in, in getting it done. Um, so it all depends on what you want to achieve and how quickly you want to achieve it, which, which way you decide to go. Right. And I don't think it, it I, I don't want to scare people with the six years because I know right. I work in writing books with publishers right. and agents for adults. And it's usually not that kind of time frame, but it's a time frame. And I think people certainly in the adult nonfiction world where I live are always surprised that you turn in the book and then it's going to be about a year and sometimes longer before you can hold it in your hands. You know, it's like pregnancy and then some. Right. So so my, my story went from just being a tool that I was using on my own to deciding that I was going to really publish it, to researching how to do that, to find a year to find an agent, a year to find a publisher, and then two years in the publisher's hand. Um, I think that if I were to start from scratch again tomorrow, knowing my process and knowing what I need to do, it would for sure, for sure be a lot quicker. Um, but there was a lot of learning to do also with my editors and and the creative team and all of that. So I know book two will, won't take as long from from the time the publisher has it to when it gets out. So that was just my process. I wasn't in a rush. I, I didn't have, as much as I knew it was going to happen and I wanted it to happen, I also never got wrapped up in emotionally in, oh my God, it's not happening yet. This was something that, although it incorporates really well into my overall healthy lifestyle, um, you know, coaching and all of that that I do, it wasn't my main focus, but I was able to focus on it 100% when I decided to work on it. So it would look a lot different for somebody else. Yeah, plus you take a lot of deep breaths. So uh, everybody <laughs> will put one. all of this in the show notes at, at um, MainStreetVegan.net, but um, Shoshana's website is planttrainers.com. That's got two T's in the middle. Plant Trainers Podcast on Facebook and Plant Trainers on Instagram. So just in our last minute, Shoshana, uh, tell my listeners about your podcast because people who listen to podcasts listen to podcasts. Thank you so much. Yes, the podcast world is strong. At the Plant Trainers Podcast, we're basically helping people improve their quality of life through plant-based nutrition and fitness. We interview the leading experts and doctors and nutritionists and lifestyle experts in, in plant-based and vegan world. We do a lot of other healthy modalities as well. And we're just trying to create as much content for people and to have access to some people who they wouldn't normally be able to have access to. And we just, we love it. It's, we're on our 408th episode that just went out yesterday. And wow. it's, it's six, it's six years of fun and still going. Oh, that's wonderful. Beautiful. And just in our last few seconds, 
What is your favorite health tip right this minute? My favorite health tip is to remember that success loves speed, but taking a, taking a breath and, and really just being in the moment before you take your next action can be even more powerful. So That's- when somebody texts you or, or emails you or talks to you, it's okay to pause and take that breath and then react. Beautiful and perfectly timed. Thanks so much, Shoshana. And everybody stay with us through these messages. We will be back. Are you looking for a new and empowering lens through which to view your life and your health? Then register now for Get Healthy with Sound, a weekend workshop with Eileen McCusick, an innovator in the fields of therapeutic sound, electric health, and the human biofield. May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn easy and accessible techniques to reduce stress, improve focus, and increase energy. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive. Experience the difference. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. Hey, everybody. What a great day talking to two really powerful, centered, amazing women. And before I introduce Molly Patrick, clean food, dirty girl, I always like to invite folks to visit MainStreetVegan.net where you can find out about Main Street Vegan Academy. Get yourself certified as a vegan lifestyle coach and educator and go out into the world doing amazing things. I know you're doing amazing things already. And I'll also share the website for my latest project, which is the Compassion Consortium or Maybe you're supposed to say consortium. The dictionary says both work. Either way, compassionconsortium.org. We're a spiritual center for people who care about everybody, including animals, including the earth. We're very open-minded, very happy. And we meet uh, on the fourth Sunday of every month, 4 p.m. Eastern time on Zoom. And we also have a book and film club every month. So do check us out, compassionconsortium.org. And now let's talk about somebody really cool, Molly Patrick. She's the co-founder and CEO of Clean Food Dirty Girl, a company dedicated to helping people eat more plants while celebrating human imperfection. Oh my gosh, I want to get into that. Through her kind and inclusive approach, Molly has built a thriving business and global community. Before she was a successful entrepreneur, she was a champion drinker and smoker, so much so that her drinking and smoking privileges had to be revoked, and she has never in all her life eaten meat. Welcome, Molly Patrick. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. And how fun is this? Yay. 
Well, it is fun. And oh my goodness, I am talking to you. You're so far away. I'm in Manhattan. You're in Hawaii, Maui. So that just sounds so cool and beautiful. But speaking of geography, you grew up in rather unusual geography. Tell us about that. Yeah, so I grew up in New Mexico, and I grew up in a really small little town. And my parents had bought some land to build their house on. And this was like I was born in 1980, so they were there kind of late 70s. And as they were building their homemade house, we lived in a teepee, and we had no electricity and no like indoor plumbing and no running water in the beginning. So I I grew up like my mom had an outside kitchen. And so I grew up in a very unique way. And I loved it. I didn't know that it was different growing up. As soon as I got to be like the age where you start spending the night at your friend's house, like I realized how strange our house was. And then I was kind of embarrassed about it for a long time because there was an outhouse. We didn't have like a regular toilet. And now I look back on that and I just think, you know, I'm so glad that that's how I was raised because it made me really creative and really kind of rugged and able to just figure stuff out. (laughs) That is so interesting. You're um, just a tiny bit older than my daughter. And we moved when she was six. Um, My first husband had died and everybody said, don't do anything for a year. And on day 365, I knew I had to do something. So we moved to the central Missouri Ozarks, for which I had no skills. I I was just completely a fish out of water, but my daughter loved it. And we had indoor plumbing and stuff like that but we had friends who didn't and I remember my daughter would say I like going to Sarah's house except we have to pick dinner so it's it's a sweet way to grow up and thanks for sharing your story there so I love this attitude that you have that humans are imperfect So where did you come up with that? How did you figure it out? (laughs) Well, I've been alive for now 40, going on 41 years. So it it was pretty obvious to me um, that, that I was definitely imperfect. And it seemed to be like all my fellow humans around me had their imperfections too. But I think what, you know, what, where people kind of get in trouble and where I got in trouble for a little while is like thinking that this imperfection is a problem and we should be perfect. Like it's not so much the imperfection that's an issue. It's more like the idea that we, that we shouldn't be, you know, that we should be perfect. That's the, that's kind of the issue. And when I sort of embraced my imperfection and embraced the human kind of struggle, um, I really did a ton of growing and I was able to do things that I wasn't really able to do before. Um, So it really took me leaning into that messiness, right, that we all have and accepting all of my human imperfection, all my messiness, all my weirdness, all my, you know, quirks and awkwardness. Like when I really leaned into that and embraced it, like my whole life kind of changed and I was able to get over or kind of get through a lot of big things in my life that I think otherwise I wouldn't have gotten through as well. I I love that this is how you live and and how you work, because I see, as we mentioned uh, briefly during the break, 
that it seems as if we're holding one another to such high standards. I think we've always held ourselves maybe to impossible standards, but we used to give other people some slack. And now it's just looking like, you know, forgiveness and mistakes and starting over. It's just harder to see the kind of of room that that, uh, people used to be allowed for some of that. So how does this mm-hmm. play out in, in your life and, and your work? Yeah, well, I think, you know, for me, it was, I think it's really key to like, kind of connect with that imperfection in myself and, and forgiveness in myself and being like, it's okay, we're, you know, I'm human, it's I'm not perfect. There are all of these things that are weird and wonky and awkward and strange and messy. And when I can identify and accept that in myself, I have a lot easier time you know, accepting and identifying and accepting that in other people as well. So I think that once you get really comfortable with that, it's just sort of this natural extension of that to know that, hey, we're all human. We're all here on this earth. We weren't born with like a manual of like, okay, you do this, you do this. Like we're all just walking around. We all know that we're going to die and the people we love are going to die. And that in itself is like, you know, very heavy for most people. There's all of these circumstances that we can't control. And we really are just doing, all of us are doing the very best that we can. And so I think that, you know, through that, you make room for like compassion, right? To see to see the human condition and to have some amount of compassion for yourself and for others. Um, it's a really beautiful process. I love that. So you talked about your smoking and drinking history, and some people would say, okay, well, if if we're imperfect, why don't you smoke and drink and be imperfect? (laughs) Well, I'll tell you, because I was miserable, and it was not serving my life. I was doing it to the extent that I was not being productive. I had these goals. I had these ideas. I had these, all these things that I wanted to do with my life. I knew that I had so much potential and I knew that if I kept going on the path I was on, that I wasn't going to get there. And that's not what I wanted. You know, I, I was, I had that curiosity of like, okay, I want to see what I can accomplish if I, you know, and I knew the the way to accomplish it was to stop smoking and stop drinking and really get my stuff together. And so um, it was just, it was really, really getting in my way and really compromising, like who I was as a person at my core. So those are both major addictions. So which came first or which, which went first, I guess is my question. It was, and which was harder? Yeah. I mean, it, I, I gave them both up at the same time. Wow. Um, I just did it both at the same time. And um, they, they were both really hard. And it was a process that, it you know, it was kind of an ugly process, to be honest. And, and the thing that I was really adamant about was not running away from my feelings not running away from my cravings because I, what I didn't want to do was stop drinking, stop smoking, and then turn to something else. Mm-hmm. I really didn't want anything else in my life to, to control my actions. Like I wanted to be the one in charge and I did not want to hand that over to another substance, another human, another, you know, relationship, whatever. So I decided I have to get really good at being uncomfortable 
and really good at noticing and go, sitting through cravings and not acting and really good at embracing all these feelings that are coming up that are really scaring me. So, you know, neither one of them were easy, but I just figured if I'm going to do it, I may as well just do it. So I just did cold turkey on both. Well, that is so impressive. I don't know that I've ever heard of anybody giving up both of those at the same time. That's that's amazing. So everybody, Molly's website is cleanfooddirtygirl.com. And you can also find her on Instagram at cleanfooddirtygirl. And we will put all her URLs on the show notes at MainStreetVegan.net. So tell me and tell my listeners about Clean Food Dirty Girl. What do you do there? Yeah, so what we do is we help people eat more plants while celebrating human imperfection. So it really is a community of people who, you know, not everybody in our community is totally vegan. This, and some people certainly are. Um, We we are very welcoming to anybody who's interested in basically, you know, putting more plants on their plate and eating more plant-based. And so we provide um, a lot of support. We provide uh, meal plans and we have an extensive um, blog with lots of free recipes and resources. We have a really amazing private Facebook group. I do, you know, weekly emails to really support people on the journey of, you know, making that transition from, you know, however they used to eat to eating more plants, either all the way or part way or whatever. And, And during the process, really celebrating their humanness and no, and you know, really tapping into that kind of thought of it's it's not perfection that we're striving for. It's not like this place where we're trying to go. It's just showing up the best we can in every moment and just being ourselves and doing the best we can and kind of um, you know not shying away from the hard parts and not trying to be something that you're not. Just sort of you know being authentic and in your in your journey and in your process and knowing that this is a process and everybody's process is different and looks different and it's all okay. So that's what we're all about. Oh, that's so cool. So what advice would you give to vegans who don't want to be insufferable about it, but who are very committed and who need to visit relatives and work with others? How does one be convicted and not make other people feel uncomfortable? Yeah, that's a great question. And I don't, you know, I don't know the answer. I can certainly tell you what that's looked like for me. Tell. And for myself, <laughs> that has looked like really a lot of acceptance and understanding my limitation in what I can do and how I can help and who I can change. Um, having the understanding that ultimately I'm not responsible for other people's, you know, changing other anybody else, right? I can't control anybody else. I can certainly be an open book and I can set an example and I can be really open to answering any questions people have. And I can really stay true in, you know, how I eat, which is a totally, you know, whole food plant-based diet and, um, and just be open. And if people have questions, then, oh, man, here, I'm, I'm here to answer you. And I think that for me, you know, I really stay out of judgment. I really try to stay out of judgment because I know that as soon as judgment comes up, I'm not going to be able to help that person at all because 
they're going to close down. And so if there's any chance that they, you know, want to make some change or they're curious, then the best thing I can do is just be really loving, really compassionate, really open and really accepting and then share, you know, some resources or share my thoughts or share my answers or um, kind of talk about it a little bit. But I think for me, really staying out of judgment has been key. So you have some really beautiful philosophical threads running through your life and your work. Do these come from somewhere or just from inside you? <laughs> yeah, they just, this is what, it's what goes through my head. Um, I guess I've, I've, I was a really intense kid and I've just always sort of been in my head a lot. Um, so it's, it's definitely from me. I mean, I read, you know, there, I, I've read a lot of self-help books and I've read on, you know, a lot of spirituality and I like that kind of stuff. Um, so I guess, you know, there's certain influences, but it's definitely all these things that are going through my head that I just tap into and share because, you know, I, I may as well, if I'm thinking them, then other people might be thinking them too, or wondering or questioning. Yeah, I, I love how clear you are with, with your inner light. We all have it. And I think sometimes it, it's a little bit difficult to, to access. So why don't we switch gears and start talking about food? It's funny that for me, being vegan has almost nothing to do with food, except that the food that I eat happens to come from plants. But um, I'm staying in a hotel. They're doing some work on my apartment. And when I called to make sure that the lovely people that take care of this room would be out uh, before I had to do the show, uh, the woman downstairs said, oh, what show is it? And I said, Main Street Vegan. And she said, oh, so you're going to talk about food. And I said, <laughs> yes, even though I didn't really know we would. But um, for the desk clerk here... <laughs> <laughs> and other people who love food. Let's talk about that. I know part of what you do are these weekly plant-fueled meal plans. And I find meal plans really challenging because if I put something down for Thursday night, then I probably won't have the red pepper or <laughs> whatever it is that's supposed to go in there. So help us a little bit with meal plans. Yeah, totally. Well, I love I happen I love food. I love to eat. I find it I find so much joy in eating. And so with the meal with meal planning it is like yes, the making the plan is the first step. But then what has to accompany that plan is okay, figuring out what recipes, making the grocery list, going shopping, and then what our meal plans are based off from is batch cooking. So cooking, you know, setting aside one and a half to three hours, one day a week to do the majority of your cooking so that you do have all that stuff ready to go throughout the week. And our meal plans are set up so that you can just like put however many portions you want of each meal and everything is calculated for you. But then, you know, you go to the grocery store, you buy everything on your list, and then you only have to go to the grocery store once. You're going to have every, all the ingredients and the majority of the food is already cooked. So it makes it really easy to follow the plan. And in that way, you know, the stress of like figuring out what's for dinner or wondering what you're going to feed your family. I mean, it all kind of goes away because you just follow the plan. So it's, a, it's really a way to just future, future plan. And 
and I, I do this process. I feel I uh, follow our meal plans and like Thursday night, Molly is always so thankful for Sunday batching Molly. I have to say. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Batch cooking is pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. So just give us a a little tutorial on that for, okay, we're going to start out. Maybe we haven't been used to cooking a a lot of uh, plant-based food before. So what do we do? What do we do in the kitchen? Yeah. Well, if you're following our meal plans, you're going to like set aside the time and get your cutting board, get your knife, get some, you know, some, some bowls, and you're just going to go to town, start chopping, start dicing, blending, sauteing, um, put on your apron, put on some comfy shoes, put on some music, and really just make your kitchen your sanctuary for a few hours and go all in and just really commit to the process. And then just watch the magic of these raw ingredients turning into this amazing food, right? It's such an act of self-care and self-love. And you're really, um, you're really, it's like you're putting in this time to nourish yourself. And because for me, if I don't have food in my fridge ready to go when I'm hungry, I, I won't eat as healthy, right? Um, and so for me, I know that, that by doing this, I'm really like loving myself which is such a beautiful thing. It is indeed. So so what are we cooking on the Sunday? We're, we've chopped a bunch of veggies, I presume. Are we cooking rice, quinoa, beans? Well, every week it's different. And because I follow our meal plans every single week with all of our subscribers. Um, so, for example, this week we I did some... Um, sunny artichoke cakes with a really yummy sunny side up sauce. We did herbs, mushroom, tofu scramble with avocado smashed English muffins. We did a blissful breakfast bowl um, and homestyle biscuits and gravy. And then an Italian polenta frittata um, with puttanesca sauce. So, and then we also had a bonus this week for chunky monkey muffins, but we would make like the salad dressing. We would make the grain, whatever it was, we would make like a soup. We would make like the, the like the frittata this week. We make that in advance. We make any of the sauces in advance. So we make this stuff that stays really well in the fridge so that on the, your meal night, you just simply heat stuff up and put stuff together. And so every week it's different, but we generally have like a salad dressing, a grain, a soup, some kind of casserole thing and a sauce, right? But we we're always changing up the recipes and changing up the different types of cuisine. So it's really, it's, it's really for people who, who really love food and who don't want to get in that food rut of like eating the same thing over and over. Right. Well, if this week's choices are anything like <laughs> what you usually do, it sounds just indescribably delicious. It is. It is. It is. <laughs> it is. It's so, and every week we do like a gourmet plan and a simple meal plan. So if somebody doesn't want to spend as much time in the kitchen, there's a simple version of the plan. But it is. I mean, the food is so, so good. And we have a team. Um, we have a team of these two women who help with this. It's their joy and it's their whole, like, they love to do this. And, they, and this is the only thing they do for us is develop recipes and help with meal plans. And they are really good at what they do. And it shows. I mean, we have people who are, who they're, we have a lot of people who have, like, omnivore partners who are now eating our meals because they prefer them because they're so tasty which is a huge win. And thank you for talking about omnivore partners 
because I usually direct people to what's happening this week at the Main Street Vegan blog at MainStreetVegan.net, and it is precisely about that. It's a wonderful Main Street Vegan graduate, Cherie Hans, and she's written about being in love with a husband who loves animals and doesn't want to be vegan. So it's really good. So do do have a look at that. And while you're going to websites, uh, let me give you Molly's again, cleanfooddirtygirl.com. And I presume this is where we get all this great information about making this wonderful food with you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Everything is there. You can sign up for like a trial meal plan just to get see how our classroom works and and be able to test the recipes and stuff. And then we also have free recipes in our blog and all of our social things. And I will say too, I'm married to someone who is not plant-based. So I fully, I understand that. So that'll be, that'll that'll be good to talk about that. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. So I just wanted to ask about one of these dishes that you mentioned, you said biscuits and gravy. I'm from the Midwest and that kind of struck a chord. How do you make your gravy? Well, let's see. This week's gravy, um, we have a lot of different gravy recipes, but this one is using just some, you can use whole wheat or gluten-free flour, and then some spices, some sage, um, onion powder, a little bit of black pepper. And then for the blender ingredients, it's like a non-dairy milk, um, water, some raw cashews, and then you saute some onion, um, then it's a little bit of water and arrowroot powder to thicken it up. And then when it's all, you know, the onions are sauteed and then everything is blended, you add in some tofu like crumbles, like that are, Ooh. has been seasoned and baked. Um, and so it's kind of like, um, you know, it has like those bits of tofu in the, yeah. in the sausage. So that's one way. Another way is just, that I like to make a really simple mushroom gravy and just saute up mushrooms and onions and add some flour and, and non-dairy milk and a little bit of water, salt, pepper, sage, um, rosemary. Um, but yeah, we have, we have lots of different gravy recipes, um, but gravy is so good. You can't go wrong. No, and it just sounds good. You know, you just say the word and life gets better. So tell us, we've got not quite two minutes left, a minute and a half. Just give us a little day in the life of a clean food, dirty girl. What do you do all day? Well, I, I used to do everything in our business um, until we, you know, had enough subscribers that I could hire people. But now what I do is I wake up early. I first start out with my yummy breakfast and um, plant-based breakfast, do my stretches. And then I get to work. I manage our team. I write blog posts. I look over meal plans. I write my emails. I do. I appear on podcasts. I work on marketing. I work on email funnels. Um, I have team, you know, meetings with our team. And then I interact with our community. So it's a, it's a very busy full-time job that I love. <laughs> It sounds absolutely divine, as does your Maui environment. <laughs> so it makes it pretty easy, yes. Well, you are absolutely delightful. I'm so happy that um, my listeners who didn't know you already, and I'm sure many of them do, uh, got this chance to meet you. And I'm so happy I had this chance to meet you. So thank you. Thanks for the time, the thank inspiration, and me. the gravy. <laughs> My pleasure. Thank you so much, Victoria.
All the best. Now, uh, two listeners, you know who also deserves some great thanks are the good people of Unity Online Radio who have made this incredible podcast happen for the past nine years. So God bless them. And to you, God bless you too. And eat your veggies. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Hello, I'm Dr. Stephen Farber, and I'm an author, teacher, psychotherapist, and shamanic practitioner. On my podcast, Healing for Your Soul, I welcome some amazing guests and introduce you to some healing techniques like earth magic, working with nature and animals, and really getting to the heart of what is keeping you stuck. I want to help you deepen your spirituality and let go of blocks that are holding you back. Let me help you in this journey called life. Part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network. Subscribe and follow wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode.